Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. Uh, so today, uh, last week was, uh, of course, our Christmas our Christmas service last week. But I just want to, I kind of want to have a Christmas message today because I still feel like it's Christmas. I want to uh, teach you today from the, uh, really, John's version, the Christmas story, which really, you're probably like, what is that? But I want to read from John chapter 1, verses 14, we're going to skip 15, but 14, 16, 17, and 18. John 1, 14, 16, 17, and 18. The title of today's message is, The Word Became Flesh. And really, today's message is about grace. Really one of my favorite subjects. And I want you to see grace in this passage. I want you to see that that. A lot of times when we think of grace, we think of it as a a teaching. We think of grace as a a definition or even a theology or a doctrine. And we assign a lot of words to grace, a lot of definitions. I'm sure most people are probably most familiar with with the definition of grace that would mean unmerited or unearned or undeserved favor. It's the divine favor of God that you can earn. You can't work for it. You don't deserve it. It's literally free, and you can only receive it. Uh, Another definition of grace is divine enablement. It's it's power. It's an enablement from God. So, but but aside from the definitions of grace, I really want to introduce you to the person of grace today, because the person of grace is Jesus. And and so often we can get wrapped up in the teaching or doctrine or or definition of grace that we miss the person of grace. And that I I really believe that you can never fully experience the depths and the riches of God's grace apart from from the personification of Jesus. Jesus is and was, still is, grace personified. He's the person of grace. So we're going to read this. It's just four verses, uh, three points today, and I'll give them to you now. Uh, Number one, grace, and they start with C, Grace came through Jesus. Grace came through Jesus. Number two, grace is continuous. Number three, grace communicates the heart of the Father. The grace came through Jesus. And really, maybe it's just a one-point message with two sub-points, because really numbers two and three are kind of like sub-points at first. But grace came through Jesus. Grace is continuous, it's never-ending, it's inexhaustible. Grace communicates the very heart of the Father. Lord, I just ask today as we open your word, Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Plant the seed deep in our heart, and we stand against any attack, any scheme of the enemy to steal it. In Jesus' name. Oh, I forgot to mention, if you have kids, uh, kids' church is open. So, kids, you want to go downstairs? That is available. And I did tell Evie I would announce that. So, you're announced. All right, let's turn to John chapter 1. We'll start with this. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, if, if you read earlier in the book of John, John chapter 1 1, John defines who the Word is. He says in John 1 1, he says, And the Word was who? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And he goes on to say that there was nothing made that was made apart from the Word. That Jesus was and is and always has been God himself. And that Jesus was present in eternity past. Jesus will be present in eternity future. But for just a short, brief 33 years, he steps out of his role as creator of the universe. He steps out of his role uh, and never lays aside, uh, or never stops being God, but he literally lays that aside and steps into humanity. Steps into a body just like we have. Goes through everything that we go through. And so for a brief period of time, Jesus, the very word of God, Jesus that is God, steps into human flesh. And I call this, it's really a Christmas story because it's the fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 7, 14. And then when Joseph, you remember when Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant, he's, he's thinking, man, what should I do? Uh, he's like, I'm going to put her away privately. I'm not going to embarrass her. But, you know, obviously something's happened and uh, I'm not really sure what to do with it. And the angel comes to him at night in a dream and the angel reminds Joseph and says, hey, this is what the prophet Isaiah talked about 700 years ago. He said, a virgin will conceive, bring forth a son, and his name shall be what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here we have the word became flesh is literally the fulfillment of Emmanuel. It's God with us, God with man. And the very word of God, God himself, has now become a human being. So this is John's version of the translation of that, I, I think, and really points to the birth of Christ. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Now we're going to skip verse 15 here, because really 15 is a thought by uh, John, John the Baptist. It's really connected more to verse 19, so I, I pulled it out just to, so you can read the whole thought here. It says, And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and of his fullness we have all what? Received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came by or through Jesus Christ. For no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, has declared him. So in that short passage, I want to look at these three things, is that grace came, grace continues, and grace communicates the heart of the Father. So these first few verses say, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of, say this, grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, I underlined the word became and came because they're actually the same word. They're the exact same Greek word. So it, it, it means came into existence. The word, the very word of God, God himself, came into existence. He came to be. He became flesh. And when he became flesh, something else appeared. It says grace and truth came. Grace and truth now became visible. It's literally an acting term that means to... Now think about this. If I ask you to describe my wife, how many could describe her sitting right there? 
Don't everybody say good things at once. <laughs> you can say a few things, right? But this is an acting term that literally means to come upon the stage. And so you may see her from the back. You may have a glimpse of her. You may see her from a certain angle. And you may see a few things about her. But when she comes up on stage, you are going to say, wow, she's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm just getting out of my hole. That's all. Digging out of my hole. Right, and so it says that when Jesus became flesh, all of a sudden, grace came. Grace came because Jesus came. And now that he's come, now that he has, has, has come as a baby, come in human flesh, we now have something to look at that gives us an idea of what grace looks like. See, when you look under the Old Covenant, if you read the Old Testament, the word grace appears very few times. The predominant word in the Old Covenant was mercy. And many times mercy was hooked with truth. Uh, when you shift to the New Covenant or New Testament, the predominant word is grace. Mercy is not used a whole lot. We still have mercy, but mercy was more applicable under the Old Covenant because mercy is not getting something bad that you do deserve. So I did something bad, I deserve punishment, I get punishment. Mercy is when I don't get the bad thing that I deserve. So under the old covenant, because everything was based on what I do, and I make a whole lot of mistakes, guess what I need? I needed mercy. I needed mercy. I needed to not get the bad thing that I deserve. But under the new covenant of grace, grace is getting something good that we don't deserve. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. I don't have a way to, 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 to purchase it but I just get it because of the goodness of God. And as a gift, all I have to do is receive it. So, so it says that when Jesus came, when Jesus became a man, when Jesus became flesh, it was at that point that grace came. We know that grace came through Jesus. Now, does it say just grace? Or does it say grace and something else? Grace and truth. So I want you, I want you to look at this word. It says Jesus... It says, we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Go to the next slide. I want you to see this word, full. It says, full of grace and truth. So this word, full, and, and how do you know when something's full? Like, it's full. Is this full? Almost. Something's really not full until it overflows. Right? At the point it overflows, you know it's full. But this word full, in the Greek, it means to be filled up, covered in every part, thoroughly permeated with. So think about this. It says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. He was fully permeated with. And, and so much so that and they were so intertwined that the two literally can't be separated. So you think about when you walk into the house on Christmas, you know, on our Christmas, we have Italian Christmas. It's just a thing that we do. And so you walk in, and, and you smell, what do you smell? You smell lasagna, right? You don't smell garlic, and you don't smell onions, and you don't smell sausage and pepperoni. All the, they're all become one big thing. They're, they're so intertwined, and they've so melted and molded together, they create this thing that you just can't, oh, I think I'm going to pull out me a little garlic. I think I'm going to pull a little little clove, not clove, but, but parsley or basil out of here. No, all those things are permeated into one. 
And so when, when we see this word grace and truth, they're so interconnected that you cannot separate one from the other. See, everybody wants a little grace, but not everybody wants truth. And, and, and so when Jesus comes, he doesn't bring just grace, but he brings grace and truth. And the two are so uniquely connected, you can't separate them. Truth, it doesn't say, it doesn't say that the law and grace and truth came by Jesus. The law came by who? Moses. The law was given. Actually, it didn't come. The law was given by Moses. Moses was a servant. Grace came through Jesus. One impersonal. One from a distance. One very personal and up close. One brought by a servant, the other by a son. And so that so he comes and he's full of these two things. You just can't, you can't separate them. See, even the verb came, when it says grace and truth came by Jesus, is in the singular. It's a singular verb form. It doesn't say that grace and truth both came or, or plurally came. It says they came, literally it came as one or one singular unit. So you can't pull them apart. So when it, grace came, if I have grace here and I have law here, which side of the, 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 the stage does truth stand on? Truth is always on the side of grace. Truth is always on the side of grace. Now that does not mean that the, the old covenant is not true. It is true. But truth brings freedom. The old covenant brought bondage. The old covenant, the law brought bondage. Grace brings freedom. So because grace brings freedom, truth is always on the side of grace because grace is the only truth that will set you free. See, the, the law will not set you free. The law will cause you to continue to sin and continue to sin and continue to sin. I told you about the time once my wife and I were going bike riding in our neighborhood. Right? And there's a sign right there in this neighbor's yard. They, and this neighbor had the best mowed grass. You know, they, they kept impeccable care of their grass. Took great pride in it. They have a little sign there that says, Do not step on the grass. What's my wife do? Now, had that sign not been there, she would have rode on by. She would have said, boy, what nice grass. But because there's a sign that says, don't get on the grass, what's it make us want to do? Makes us want to get on that grass. Of course, I didn't follow us, dude. I, I, I'm a person of grace, not law. No, I'm just kidding. But see, law causes you to actually sin more. We're going to talk about that later. So truth's always on the side of grace. Think about when Jesus in John chapter 8, now you don't see grace and truth here, but I want, I want to point it out to you. So John chapter 8, when Jesus is talking to, it says, Jewish people that, that eventually did believe in him. He's talking to people that knew the law. He's talking to people that studied the law. He's talking to people that, that understood and memorized and had heard the law from the time they were kids all the way up to the time that they're adults. And he talks to them about freedom. He says, if you abide or if you remain in my word, you will be my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. And then he goes on to say, whom the Son frets free is free indeed. So think about this. He says, if you abide, these people knew the Old Testament law, 
but they weren't free. So they're like, like a lot of Christians today. A lot of Christians know a lot of scripture. They know a lot of do nots and do this and don't do that. And man, they're really happy to tell you about it too. And they love pointing out when you step over that line of grass. See, that doesn't provide freedom. Jesus says, if you remain, if you abide in my word, what was the word that Jesus brought? See, he wasn't talking about the Old Testament scriptures because they kept people in bondage. He's obviously talking about, he says, my word, the word. He was the word. This is the same word, logos. The word became what? Flesh. Grace came when Jesus came. If you abide in my word, I honestly believe that my word is the word of grace. Because you could stay in the Bible and still be stuck. You need to stay in grace. You need to stay in what he's done for me and not what you can do for him. See, that'll just keep you in this constant cycle. Did I do enough? Did I do enough? Did I pray enough? Did I read enough? Did I, did I go do enough street ministry? Did I tithe enough? I don't know. Is it 10%, 11 12 13 I don't know how much to give. You will wear yourself out. If you remain, if you abide, if you stay in my word, the word that pertains to me, the word that I'm releasing, the word of grace that I came to make uh, appear, if you stay there, then you'll be my disciples, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You stay over there, you'll be stuck. See, people that are stuck don't need more law, they need grace. People in Jesus' time were stuck. A lot of us are stuck. See, when you're stuck, you don't need more rules. That's what the Holy Spirit does today. The Holy Spirit guides you. The Holy Spirit leads you. The Holy Spirit, Jay preached a great message on this a few weeks ago. He is the, the, the law written on our heart now. Go to the next slide. If you're stuck, you don't need more law, you need grace. Grace will break the, now not the spin cycle, the sin cycle. If you read the book, what was that marriage book? I just could not finish. Love, oh yeah, love the crazy cycle, if you read that. I feel like the sin cycle is the crazy cycle. You ever been on a sin cycle? You mess up, you repent, you do right, you mess up, confess, do right, and you just can't, it's like wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. So you don't have to be on the sin cycle. Romans 6.14 says that sin no longer has power over you because you're no longer under law but under grace. So you've got to ask the question, why do I see people that are promoting grace living in sin? If grace really provided freedom, why do I see people saying, oh yeah, grace, 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 but then they're living a certain way? and denying the very word that Jesus spoke. I'm going to tell you why I think that is. 
when you use grace as an ending point instead of a starting point, error comes into grace. Let me explain that. If I use grace as an ending point or a landing point so that I can make an excuse to live a lifestyle of sin, error comes in. See, when I use grace to say, okay, well, I'm going to live the way I want. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what the Holy Spirit's telling me. I don't care what I see in God's Word. I'm just going to live a certain way. I'm going to do what I want to do because there will be grace. You've made grace a landing strip. Grace needs to be your starting point, not your ending point. Because of grace, I'm empowered to not sin. Because of grace, Jesus has set me free. I don't think like that. I don't do that. Am I perfect? No. Do I mess up? Yes. But I have been set free. Not that I'm going to live stuck so I can get free every time I want to get stuck. It needs to be your launch pad, not your landing strip. Jesus... Sin will have no power. Everybody say that, no power. That word means authority. No dominion. No right. Sin's got no right in your life. No power in your life. No authority in your life. You choose to do it now. Once you've accepted Jesus, that man is dead. He's got no say. All right, next. Grace is continuous. It says, And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What's He full of? What's He full of? And of His fullness, which is, what's His fullness? All right? And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of, permeated with, grace and truth. And of his fullness, grace and truth, we have all what? Received, and grace for grace. I'm going to stay on this slide. Don't go to the next slide. I'll just talk about these scriptures. So John is writing to believers here. The reason I believe he's writing to believers is because earlier in the passage, he says in John chapter 1, verse 12, he says, As many as received him, to them gave he the power or right to become the sons of God, even to those who do what? Believe on his name. So just a few, few, few verses earlier, he's talking about those that believe on his name. So there, there's this grace, saving grace. Matter of fact, Titus 2.11 says, it says, the grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So that when Jesus came, when Jesus comes in the flesh, he makes grace visible, he makes grace available to all men. It's appeared. It's visible to all men, but not all men are saved. See, you still individually have to receive him. It says, as many as receive him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. So it's not a guarantee. So there's saving grace, 
But that doesn't, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. See, see, God just doesn't want you to be saved by grace. He wants you to continue to experience the benefits of salvation. This says that of his fullness, we have all received. And grace, the Greek word there for four is anti. What does anti mean? Like antichrist, anti, against. It means against. It's so it literally says grace against grace. It means grace instead of grace. Grace in place of grace. Some translations say grace upon grace. So that just because you've experienced the grace of God the day you got saved, that's not all there is. There's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And because Jesus is infinite, guess how much grace there is? See, because grace is not a, it's, it's not a definition. It's a person. Jesus is inexhaustible. Last week we saw that one of the things Isaiah called him was the eternal father. You can't exhaust Jesus. You can't exhaust his grace. See, every situation you have, there's grace available for that. You need healing, there's healing grace. You need wisdom, there's grace for that. You need a bondage broken in your life, there's grace for that. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And I think sometimes we think, well, you know, I've heard people say this about sickness. Well, if God could just heal me of this, I could live with this. God just took care of, God just took care of this pain in my shoulder. I can live with this lump on my head. Like as if it might dim the lights in heaven if you just ask for both of them. Right? It, it might just draw too much power where the lights are going to flicker, you know, like when my AC comes on and the lights go down. That doesn't happen in heaven. God's not sitting there, oh, there, Kristen asked for a double again. <laughs> Jesus, go crank the amps up. No. Grace upon grace upon grace. You sometimes think, well, if I could just get forgiven, if I could just get out of this mess, I could live with everything else. No. Jesus didn't become a man so you could live with everything else. He took it all. He took your sin. He took your shame. He took your sickness. He took your hurt. He took your pain. He took all you, your guilt. You can't exhaust it. I like to think of this verse like this. It's kind of like, it's kind of like if you think of grace like the ocean. When you're on the beach, what happens? What never stops rolling in? Waves. That wave brings in some new shells. What's it do to the old shells? Minute later, another wave. Minute later, another wave. Later. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, since the world was created. The grace does, there's, a, there's an ending point, there's a starting point and ending point to that ocean wave. 
But grace doesn't have a beginning or an end because grace is Jesus. He's eternal. He's immortal. He, he, he is infinite. Just for a brief time, he stepped into humanity. So we could get a glimpse of what that looks like. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the verse, or 416, the verse just prior to before this says that we do not have a high priest who cannot be sympathetic to our weaknesses or our infirmities, but was in all points, say this, all points, tested like we are, yet without sin. So he came. He came as a man. He experienced what you experienced. He was tested like we're tested. He just did it perfectly. We don't always get it right. We mess up. And when you mess up, guess what there is? Right. We don't live for that to be our landing strip. But if we mess up, grace upon grace upon grace. It says because he has lived like we do, because he has already been there, done that, did it perfectly, we have a high priest that empathizes, sympathizes with our weaknesses, with our frailties, with our, with our, um, our mess-ups. Because of that, I can go boldly to what? The throne of grace. I can go boldly to the throne of grace where I can find mercy and what? Grace in the time of need, or when I need it the most, some translation says. See, i got to know that because of grace, I've been made righteous. I don't care if I've messed up for the 10th time, 20th time, the 100th time, Jesus made me righteous. God sees me as he sees Jesus. Jesus has already made me right with God. I can walk into that throne room and say, I need help. And guess what? There's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It's continuous. It's continuous because Jesus is continuous. Same yesterday, today, forever. Finally, grace communicates the heart of the Father. No one has seen God at any time. Who was the only person in the Old Testament that kind of, sort of saw God? Moses. He said, show me your glory. God says, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, but I'm going to hide you in the rock because if you see me, you can't handle it. You can't handle my glory. I'm going to let you see my backside. can't see my face. You can't see my radiance. You can't handle it. No man has seen God at any time. Moses got a quick glimpse of his backside. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, that means He is at the closest place of intimacy. He's at the very heart of God. He, Jesus, the person of grace, has declared Him. Now, you've heard me say a lot of times that Jesus is perfect theology. That Jesus perfectly, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, 3 said he was the exact imprint of his character and nature. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. He says, if you've seen me, or if you knew me, you would know the Father. 
I only say what I hear my father say, and I only do what I see my father do. Jesus perfectly represented the father. But I want you to see this word where it says he declares him. This word declares, let's go to the next slide. It's the Greek word exegeomy. Now, why does that matter? I want to do this. This is for my friend David. So if you've seen David stirring the pot on Facebook lately, he likes to throw these questions out there. And boy, he, David's a classic snowball maker. D David doesn't throw snowballs, but my goodness, he loves to make them. And he, uh, he, he hands them out to both sides. I love it. But it says that Jesus declares the Father. Exegemi means to lead out, to be a leader, to draw out in a narrative or unfold a teaching. Exegemi is the root word for the, the English word exegesis or exegete. Now, why does that matter? So if you, if you study any kind of biblical interpretation, exegesis and eisegesis are two methods of biblical interpretation. Exegesis means to draw out, ex, E-X, E-K-S is the Greek for out of. Exegesis means to draw out of the text the meaning that the author had written there in context. Eisegesis, E-I-S, ice means into in the Greek. Eisegesis means that you take your preconceived notion and you go into the text and you try to match the text up with what you already think. This says that Jesus exegeted the Father. Jesus perfectly interpreted the Father. Jesus is literally the best form of theology that you can ever find. Because when he declared the Father, he was the Word, he knew the author, he was the author, and none of us could ever come close to exegesis the way Jesus did. Because he, he was the word himself. And he literally, perfectly interpreted the Father. See, what happens a lot of times is we eisegete the Father. We have a preconceived notion of what the Father's like, and then we go to the Bible and try to match that up with we, what we already think. We think, we look in the Old Testament, we see the Father acting this way. Or we look in this thing and we see the father acting this way. Or we had a, a, a father and when we were kids and he was a bad father. And my goodness, if my father was bad, God the father is probably bad. And I'm going to go find a verse to back that up. See, we eisegete the father. Jesus exegeted the father. He drew out who the father really was. And if I want to know who the father is, then I need to pay attention to what Jesus said. Not what everybody else thinks they know of the father. He is perfect theology. If I don't see it in Jesus, it's not in the Father. Jesus says the Father and I are one. Literally, I am a perfect representation of Him. And so if I want to know what God thinks about something, who do I look to? Jesus. Because He's the perfect exposition, interpretation declaration of his dad because they're one he's at the very bosom of his father i like the message translation next slide it says no one has ever seen god not so much as a glimpse this one-of-a-kind god expression who exists at the very heart of the father 
has made him plain as day. You want to know the Father plain as day? Look at Jesus. The Jesus communicates. What does God think about things? How does God view things? Look at Jesus. Because he perfectly declared him. Just end of a quick story, very familiar. John chapter 8. And we looked at John 8 earlier when Jesus was talking about being free. But the beginning of John 8, a woman caught in adultery, caught by people that knew the law, lived under the law, breathed it day in, day out. And they asked Jesus a question. They find this woman caught in the very act of adultery. Drag her out. Jesus is at the temple teaching. He's got a big crowd. Pull her right in the middle. Throw her down right in front of him. I said in verse 4, Teacher, this woman was caught in, the, in adultery in the very act. And notice this. Moses in the law commanded us that one should be stoned. But what do you say? See, they knew what the law said. They knew what Moses said. But they want to say, Jesus, what do you say? How would you exegete the Father? What's the Father's view of this? Of course, he knew they were trying to test him, and, and that was their intent. So go to the next slide. It says, this they said, testing him, that they might have something which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. So what do you say? What do you say? Grace, what do you say, Grace? Here's, here's this dilemma. If Jesus says, let her go, he's just violated the law. If he says, stone her, he's just violated himself, Grace. So what's he do? He's like, okay. You want the law? I'll give you the law. You want the law? I'll give you the law. Because what happens when we're under the law? We're all guilty. See, that was the purpose of the law. The law was never meant to reform you. The law was only brought about to point out, A, to show what God's standard of holiness is, but also to prove that we can't do it. It's impossible. I fail as soon as I cook bacon. I'm out. Done. I will never quit eating bacon the day I die, even if the doctor tells me to. But James says if you offend in one point, you're what? Guilty of all. You can't just keep part of it. It's not like I'll keep 612 out of the 613, and I'm going to get a 99.95, and I'm in. Uh-uh. It's perfection. There's no grading on the curve. There's no weighted average. It's perfection or not at all. And Jesus says, okay, you want the law, I'll give you the law. He who's without sin cast the first stone. Now whether they were guilty of that very sin or, or another sin, it says that every one of them was convicted in their own conscience, and every one of them dropped their stones and walked away. And he and again stooped down and on the ground. And those who heard it being convicted of their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest to the last. And Jesus was left alone, standing with the woman in the midst. And when Jesus raised himself up, 
saw no one but the woman. He said to her. So one, grace says to those under the law, I'll give you law. If you want law, you got law. But if you don't want law, I'm going to give you grace. Don't we all need grace? Haven't we all messed up at some point in time? I don't know if this woman lived a lifestyle of this. I don't know if she was stuck in it. One time screw up or a lifetime of it. It doesn't matter. Because Jesus' grace is not limited by your sin. Doesn't, you can't sin too much. You can't out-sin grace. He's already taken care of it. He knew everything you'd ever do before you ever did it and took it upon himself at the cross and paid for it. Even people that don't accept him have their sins paid for. They just haven't received it. The transaction's not complete. He says, when Jesus raised himself up, he saw no one but the woman. He said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? No one condemn you. She said, no one, my Lord. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin. What do you say, Jesus? What does grace say? I've messed up. I committed adultery. I ran around. I'm addicted. Stolen. Been in jail. Whatever. What's grace say? He says, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. See, Jesus cannot condemn you because there was a day when He was condemned. There was a day when God put all His wrath, all His judgment on Jesus. So that he could, in turn, say, I don't condemn you. See, condemn means to, to bring about a guilty verdict. A gavel goes down, guilty. But it also means to render unfit for use. I want to just tell you two things. Is God does not condemn you because he's already paid for your sin. He just wants you to receive his grace. But also, no matter what you've done, it never makes you unfit for use. So you're still worthy because Jesus has made you worthy. It's never going to come come over to your the, like a building they put condemned on it, not fit to live in. You're fit to live in because He's made you fit to live in. The Holy Spirit lives in you. says, I don't condemn you. Go and do what? Sin no more. Nobody wants the truth. Everybody wants grace. Give me the grace, not the truth. You can't separate the two. See, it's just that the church gets this, this phrase backwards. The church wants to say, go and sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. That's the law. That's the law. And that's why people stay stuck in their sin because we say, hey, go get your stuff in order and then we won't condemn you. Grace and truth that brings freedom brings no condemnation first and the ability to not sin comes next. We give people unconditional grace they will rise above that situation and live a life of purity, of holiness, 
of righteousness almost better on accident than you could do on purpose. I can tell you my own life. For years, I would like get in front of God every night. I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to quit yelling at my wife. I'm going to quit cussing. I'm going to quit. And man, I'd no sooner be done praying, I'd be right back at it. And it wasn't until I got a revelation of the grace of God that he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want me to mess up, but if I mess up, he still loves me. And he doesn't condemn me. And people see me now like, well, do you ever sin? Well, that's my wife. She'll tell you. But I don't sin as much as I used to. And I live better now by accident than I did on purpose. Because Jesus has changed me. And he can change you too. Amen. Let's give him a round of applause. Jesus said, he's talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And we're familiar with verse 16. Verse 17, he says, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. So, I just want to pray for you guys today. Stand up. I want to pray for you. If you're here, or if you're online, and you do not know Jesus, you never experienced his grace, you don't know the person of grace, you don't know that you've had your sins completely forgiven, wiped out, made whiter than snow, the record of your sins has been nailed to the cross. I want to invite you to accept Jesus as your Savior. You can put your trust in him today. You can say, Father, I know that I've sinned, but I also know that Jesus paid for my sin. I believe he rose from the dead, and I put my faith and trust in him. If you said that, you're forgiven. You're free. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. If you need specific prayer, if you prayed that prayer today and you're online, shoot us a message. If you're here in person and you'd like to reconfirm that with somebody, come up, Pastor Jay and I, Kristen. Uh, Phil, Autumn, any of us would like to, to pray with you. We'd be happy to pray with you. If you're sick, you need prayer for healing, deliverance, anything you've got going on in your life, what is there? There's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And you could say that to the day you die, and you're not going to get to the end. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, that he was the very word of grace and truth made flesh, made visible. Lord, that we can now get a glimpse through Jesus of what your heart really looks like, that you love us unconditionally. Lord, that, that you're, you're always there for us. We can't exhaust the depths of your love and your grace for us. Father, that you always speak no condemnation over us, that you're always for us, you're never against us, that you always have our best interest at heart. Father, I just uh, just release grace today. I just speak grace today. Father, let your peace rest. Let your blessing, your favor rest on each person here. It's in your name we pray. Amen.